Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, as introduced, my name is Hunter Pettis. I'm the account executive for Lake Union as well as Atlantic Union, but more specifically for this situation, Michigan Conference. Um, today we're going to talk about clerks and treasurers. Um, so bear with me because I may reiterate some things that we've already talked about earlier in the week. But because it, it, it all comes full circle. So it all deals with good stewardship. Um, ultimately, risk management a lot of times is always about the no. It's all about you know protection, having good plans in place. But more specifically, risk management works heavily in tandem with finances and being good stewards. And so that being said, I just want to start off with an Ellen G. White quote um, from Manuscripts Release, volume number nine, page 169. I have been instructed in regard to the importance of our ministers keeping free from responsibility that should be largely borne by businessmen. You, your work is not the management of financial matters. It is not wise for you to undertake this. God has burdened for you to bear. But if you carry lines of work for which you are not adapted, your efforts in presenting the word will prove unsuccessful. Don't dabble in businesses that you are not adapted or called to do. Um, this quote is very important in terms of business matters and ultimately is the support of the ministry for the church. Um, this boils, this can further be drilled down into the fact that everyone in this room, everyone in our congregation, it's all about the collective community of us all. Um, we, we may individually serve in leadership roles as head deacon, elder, um, pastor, whatever the case may be, but we all have some level of accountability. Uh, we have a duty to protect, and we also have been entrusted with things in our care, custody, and control in some instances is finances, in other instances is watching over the flock, but ultimately it's being accountable to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and we represent something much larger than ourselves. I know it's so easy, so, so very easy to only focus on how this views in our own individual church or our own individual conference or our own individual union. But we oftentimes forget that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is worldwide, and we are in this collectively as a whole. That being said, there are a number of different things that I talked about earlier in the week. That's that risk identification, uh, analyzing the risk and hazards that we may have, whether it's in our church, um, potential fire hazards, um, falling hazards, whether it's a loose handrail or chipped step or something like that uneven pavement. We've also talked a little bit about the risk control aspects. How do you go about game planning for these things? How do we go about uh, making sure that we have a plan in place to execute and uh, after we've gone through and analyze what risk and hazards we have in our, our respective locations? But then we also have the risk financing aspect of this, and this is where the treasurers come uh, involved, and these are things that they must most uh, most should pay attention to. Um, so something that I mentioned again yesterday as well is regarding the, the loss ratio or the loss history for the entire North American division as a collective. Um, what these numbers mean ultimately is that 
in 2016, as we as a whole, and this is ARM included, what we paid to our reinsurers, so that's an easy way to remember that is the insurance for the insurance company. Uh, for every premium dollar that we paid collectively to our reinsurers, $5 was paid out to uh, compensate our, our losses as a group. You can't sustain the business that way. It's very difficult to sustain, not only can uh, the reinsurers staying in business that way, but it's very difficult for us to renegotiate and have an opportunity to continue to work with these reinsurers so that we can ensure that the church stays afloat. Um, so that's $1 for every $5. And in 2017, that rose to $1 for every $6.50. And as I've mentioned earlier this week, a lot of times it ends up being things that were very easily preventable. The top three of those is unqualified supervision. So you have somebody who's just, I mean, it's, it's plain as day, someone who's not unqualified to actually be supervising the activities. Example, you go out, you're swimming, you have somebody on lifeguard duty who has no idea how to swim or even barely can save themselves. Uh, you end up putting yourselves at risk to have a potential loss, loss there. Um, 15 passenger vans, which I, which I always see a smile or a smirk when 15 passenger vans come up, because that's something that we've been we've been um, preaching avidly for a very long time. Despite there still being 15 passenger vans out there, um, for the sake of those who weren't in in class earlier this week, uh, now I feel like a teacher. <laughs> but for 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 those who weren't here, 15 passenger vans. Uh, actually, um, for those of you who were here earlier this week, anybody want to take a crack at why 15 passenger vans are no-no? They do roll over very easy. That's, that's the plain, the bottom line of it, honestly. Um, to expand on that a little bit more, and thanks, Ron, for sharing that. Um, 15 passenger vans, a lot of times you, you get into the 15 passenger van, the seating's on the left side, that already creates an imbalance. It sits up higher than most vehicles. It's um, when you have the, it exceeds, a lot of times it exceeds that max capacity load. So you have 15 passenger van that has 18 people in it. Um, and a lot of times those passengers are sitting in the back, they don't have uh, seatbelts on. So you have a vehicle that's, very susceptible to rollover, doesn't have a reinforced ceiling, and ultimately you have um, more than your fair share of passengers in the back. You're easily looking at losing a lot of lives in that in that situation. And um, I don't have video, but there are videos out there that show news articles where there's um, Seventh-day Adventist churches with 15 passenger vans that have had very sad losses, to say the least. Um, and that heavily contributes into that excess liability um, loss, loss ratio that I discussed. And so not only that, hiring unqualified individuals. So you have individuals working on the church that have, um, they may know what they're doing, but they don't have the insurance to back them up in the, in the event that 
whoever they're working with uh, falls off the roof or something like that, and they don't have insurance to cover it, well, then the church is left up to pick up their medical bills. So that's also um, things that, that arise from that. So as a result of us trying to mitigate our losses and, and, and control them, the North American Division has come up with initiatives over the past three years. Um, right now, the NAD risk management initiatives consist of having a risk management committee at your local church level, uh, also at the conference level as well. Um, the pastor's risk management awareness and education, removal of 15 passenger vans, survey and inspection, which is going around your local church and determining what areas need to be um, fixed. I used an example earlier in the week. On average, if you have uh, a handrail that's loose, on average, on average, regular old handrail costs about $1,500 to repair. On the back end, if you neglect it and uh, someone in ends up injuring themselves, on average, that could cost you $50,000 in insurance on the back end. So $1,500 to some is not cheap still, but in comparison to $50,000, uh, that makes a huge difference. So um, if you will indulge me just briefly, I'd like to also go through just a brief overview of the risk financing or insurance from the property and general liability side. So liability ultimately covers, provides coverage and protection for the organization's mission's financial impact of liabilities. Um, so if I myself cause uh, bodily injury, property damage, or even um, uh, personal injury, as in I'm uh, speaking ill of you in front of the congregation, general liability insurance provides coverage for those instances. Um, as you can see, personal injury to property or a person, damage to other person's, um, well, I said property, and then personal advertising injury, which consists of libel, slander, defamation in those aspects. More specifically, um, negligence applies to the failure to exercise um, proper care, degree of care. So that also falls under that element of not, um, just not paying attention. Not, I, I, I love to share the story of um, a church that had been broken into and there was uh, the fire, the, the closest exit had been barricaded pretty much. There was storage just sitting in front of that closest exit. And um, someone had broken to the church. A fire broke out while he was trying to burglarize the church. And he tried to exit out the nearest exit, which happened to be more or less barricaded by storage. And ultimately ended up dying due to smoke inhalation. The family, turns around and decides to sue the church as a result of them having their, their nearest fire exit uh, blocked off. The family received some compensation for that because the church uh, was negligent and didn't follow through in terms of fire safety. Um, just one example of 
being negligent and realizing that, hey, you've got to take proper care of your property and making sure that you're um, taking the, the appropriate precautions. Um, and that's general liability. So from the property standpoint, there is a number of different coverages that are also provided. So you have your fire, your smoke, explosion, windstorm, um, theft, burglary, water damage are your typical covered causes of loss under the property policy. Um, I'm not 100% sure if, is anyone here actually a treasurer? I think I might have, so you are the treasurer. Do you, do you receive the statement of value for your church? Okay, so if you are the church treasurer, um, typically you receive the statement of value. And this document is super important when it comes to making sure that you're actually being billed for what you should be billed for. Um, in the number of instances I've seen where the addresses are incorrect or the square footage is incorrect, um, that does make it, it, it can, it's not a huge issue per se when it comes to the address, but it does create a delay if you did have a, a loss. So ensuring that the address is correct, because I understand that sometimes churches move from, from uh, one place to the next. The square footage is also important to have. Making sure that that's um, also correct. And then the uh, construction type is also, the construction type is also correct. But the more important elements of this statement of value that I really want to focus on and make sure that everybody understands um, is the building value, the business personal property um, values as well. So the building value, to give you an analogy, the building is the building itself, as we all know what, what the building is. And the business personal property is the contents. So if you could imagine a building, you have the ability, super Hulk ability, to just pick it up, turn it upside down, shake it around. Everything that falls to the ground or moves about is considered contents. So if there's ever any question in your mind, hey, well, what about these pews? Well, if the pews are bolted down to the ground and if you're shaking that building and it doesn't fall, well, it's a part of the building. Okay, that makes sense for everybody? So just a question. So if you have solid equipment, which normally I would think is contents, but if it's actually bullet in a rack, which is part of the structure, it wouldn't shake out. Is that uh, an exception to that analogy? Or is the rack itself is built directly into the building? Yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Anything on your sound booth, it's all bolted to your floor and your stuff's bolted in That is true. That's a really good question. Um, typically, if it's bolted, I mean, if it if it does not fall, it would it would still fall under um, building. Sorry, yeah, building. There are some instances for, for, for that very reason where sound systems are scheduled on the policy separately just to make sure that there's that distinction that we know, okay, they have a sound system, it costs this amount. Uh, it may even be included directly in this content value, but it'll still be scheduled so we'll know that, okay, that's, that's a part of this still contents value rather than it being included in the building value. Okay. 
So the content value, um, unless requested otherwise, it's defaulted to 30% of the building value. If it's requested otherwise, it can be less than that. It can be more than that. It just it's have it's dependent upon what the church um, or conference requests. But it says replacement cost. So let's say that you've got insurance on the building and it's thirty percent, but actually the contents is forty percent. Uh, that puts a big responsibility on either the treasurer or the finance committee if you have a cap. So it's a misnomer to me when it says replacement cost. Okay. Well, I want to make sure what when you refer to replacement costs, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page well, in terms of... If, if that um, projector up there costs... Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so two things I do want to explain is another reason why we want to ensure that the that the churches are getting this document every year to, to, to make that distinction whether or not, hey, does this make sense for us to have this insured value for all of our contents at set amount or should we increase that? Now, how, now to also answer your question in terms of how replacement cost works for us, uh, <clears throat> so in the instance of uh, saying that it's $500, um, pretty much Initially, the, the payout for those items would be, in essence, almost like actual cash value of those items. But if you determine, hey, you know, uh, it actually cost us $600 to replace this item, well, you have what's called recoverable depreciation. So you could sub follow up with claims department and say, hey, you know, you gave us X amount of dollars but it actually turns out that it cost us more to replace this item. We're looking to recover, to, to, to put in um, a submission for recoverable depreciation regarding those, that claim. Um, and touching in on replacement costs, um, the other, it's not a premium generating cover, um, provision, but it, it isn't included as well as the building ordinance or law, uh, which ends up being actually 10% of the building value. So if you have a loss, a covered cause of loss, and your building is older, it needs requires some upgrades based off of the laws of that jurisdiction wherever you are, uh, whether it's sprinkler system or something like that, you have an additional 10% um, that you can use to cover those um, upgrades, okay? This is only under replacement costs for that building ordinance law. If you change it to any other valuation, agreed max, actual cash value, uh, that's not included, okay? Um, just based off of the discussion so far, I think everyone more or less understands the difference between replacement costs and market value. Um, Replacement cost, of course, takes into account what it actually costs to rebuild, contractors' fees, building material, market value is what I can what I can actually purchase it for, you know, on, on the market. So that could be a lot less, or that could be a lot more. Um, so that's more those those elements are a bit of a review. 
So I kind of want to jump into uh, fiduciary responsibility as a treasurer, because um, I imagine that's what most of everyone is here for. Um, so uh, first and foremost, the treasurer is a custodian of the funds. Um, all church bank accounts are exclusive for church funds and are never to be combined with personal account or funds. Um, the treasurer should keep a receipt of all funds received. And on receiving the money from the treasurer, the secretary or uh, of, the, of the organization should also properly document all of this information. So at every level, there's conference funds, there's local church funds, there's auxiliary organization funds, making sure that there is no commingling of your personal finances with the church's finances. And of course, I mean, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but there is uh, a number of instances where that that isn't the case. Um, and it ends up being inadvertently or maybe advertently taking a, a loan from the church. And who's to account to determine if you actually paid that back or whether or not. So we don't even want to have uh, any questions there. So it's all about transparency um, but also in confidentiality. So the book should be audited regularly. Um, it can be called, you can um, have, make sure that you have good reports of, of the business meetings and everything like that. But when I talk about transparencies, of course, it's just making sure that, um, you know, everybody knows the, the plan in place in terms of how we're, how we're going about moving the funds. But confidentiality, in some instances, you may have members, you, you know, there's different levels of uh, offering in the church. Some people have more finances than others. And, you know, somebody may drop $100,000 in the offering plate one Sabbath and somebody may only drop five. But that's not up to discussion uh, for you to, to disclose that information that may put other people uh in a, in, in a bit of a circumstance. But more importantly, what I would like to talk about is the um, there is a bond under the master policy or executive risk policy that actually covers local treasures. Uh, they're covered under this policy, um, which falls under their fiduciary responsibility. So if there's ever any um, embezzlement of funds, there is a policy in place to cover and ensure, you know, if any litigation comes about because of that case, there is um, coverage in place for that. So the North American Division Working Policy always requires that the conferences report theft to the authorities. And again, you want to be transparent about your auditing processing, making sure that there isn't any fudging of the numbers, making sure that everything is um, copacetic. Yes, ma'am. The reason why I came to the lecture today is, you know, our church is on top of the transparency along with the school. Mm -hmm. I am also one of the assistant treasurers for the church that counts. And um, we were trying to come up with, I said, so how transparent do you want me to be? What, you know, without the confidentiality, like you say, of the parents who pay, who don't pay, partial pays, that sort of thing. I, and what we put in place is um, an assistant treasurer for me 
and the principal have um, internet access to look at any time on my checking account. Mm -hmm. And I always bring my um, bank statement to the school board meeting and say, so here's the bank statement, you can check them out together, make sure they all balance, and, and we do get audited you know, once a year. But any other suggestions on transparency to make the boards feel more comfortable that there's enough? Does anyone else, I'm, I'm not deflecting or pivoting, but does anyone else have anything to offer in terms of your question? In terms of just what do, what do you do at your own personal church? Maybe David, if you have anything. Uh, we we basically deposit all the all the money is released by two people. Yeah, so pretty much how it operates is, I mean, if you the local treasurer is covered, um, as well as conference treasurers, until they get caught stealing, pretty much. Um, so. It covers you for that very purpose of if there has been some some stealing of the funds. And so the policy ultimately drops down and provides coverage at, um, at the local church level to uh, also go, go to go through that litigation process to determine what actually happened. Um, and then to resolve that to, to, to bring a resolve to that issue. So the, the actual limits is up to $3 million. So if there's been, if it's been a one-off incident of stealing the funds in the amount of, I don't know, 100,000, oh, that's a lot of money at one time, but um, I don't know, 5,000, you know, $1,000 or something like that, or it's been a long-term, something that's been going ongoing for a long time, and you realize, oh, there's been um, millions of dollars that have been siphoned off from whether it's the church or the conference level, uh, there there is a whole process that's followed. In, in but the treasurer is embezzling. No, no, that's until they get caught stealing. Until they get caught. Okay. Yeah, until they get caught stealing. Move forward a little bit. So, um, just to kind of get bring some more context to fraud. Um, obviously, fraud is the intentional act or omission. Um, Theft by deception, if you will. Uh, and so there, there are a number of different types. There's misappropriation of assets, financial statement fraud, uh, and then also corruption. So the, the difficult part or the more difficult bullets about this PowerPoint is, or at least this particular side, is why do people commit fraud? For various reasons. For various reasons. But a lot of times it's, well, for various reasons. But... In some instances, they may be short on funds. Like I mentioned earlier, that commingling of funds, and you say, hey, you know, I just need a little bit to get me through the rest of this month to pay, whether it's my mortgage or my light bill, I'll pay the church back uh, next next month, you know, in my, in my tithe dollars. That's, that's stealing of church funds. Um, and then, so I've, I, I shared this story earlier in the week where, Having um, having the appropriate safekeeping measures in place for the funds, whether you're leaving it there until somebody takes it to the bank uh, after Sabbath hours, or someone's running to the bank, where whatever time of the day, but making sure that there is no immediate access to whether the room or the safe, and then you have um, 
are rotating. So the, the example given is I had a church call in um, and their actual storeroom, if you will, was in the back of the church. So kind of behind the pulpit, behind the, behind the sanctuary. So while after offering, um, and they did their offering earlier in the service, um, they would put their funds in the room, in the safe. There's no cameras back there. There's even a back door entrance into that room uh, from the outside of the church. And uh, meanwhile, everybody's in the congregation listening to pastor preach his sermon. And there's no way, there was no way to determine who was stealing the funds. And it happened, uh, if I remember, it would, it would happen over the course of a few Sabbaths, not every single Sabbath, but it seemed like there was a bit of a pattern almost like every third Sabbath or something like that. So you could almost try to narrow it down and say, well, maybe it's somebody who's collecting offering on that third Sabbath. But there was no clear, no clear case towards pointing saying, hey, you know, it was Hunter that was stealing the funds or something like that. So that's another thing. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm sure, again, I'm probably beating a dead horse, but making sure that you have a good system in place so that there's no uh, way for funds to be um, siphoned off. Yes, sir. My sister goes to a large church in Texas, and their policy is, is take the money and deposit it in the bank right away. Mm-hmm. It's a large church. So what the lady did, she's on, um, evidently she did this routinely. She gets in her car, she puts her, um, I think it was her purse, it may have been the envelope that held the money, on the passenger seat and was getting ready to pull out the parking lot. Somebody came in, busted out the passenger side window, stole the bag of money, and had somebody pick them up. You know, this was, um, they thought they were doing everything that they needed to mm-hmm. to uh, protect those funds. And whether it was an inside job or whatever, they, they really don't know, they never did find that out. I'm just letting you know that there's, yeah. uh, sometimes we can th- think we have everything down pat. But when we do things repetitiously, uh, that can that can break. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a very, and I'm glad you shared that story. I mean, there, whether it was inside job or outside job, a thief, like in that instance, usually picks up on that repetition and realizes, okay, this is how this goes every single week or every single day, whatever the case may be. Um, and then they, they, they seize the moment because I know that you're going to drop this off here at this moment. You're going to walk away for five, ten minutes. That's my time to hop in, get, get what I, I, I came to get, and, and go. Um, that happens at every level, whether it's inside the church or somebody staking out to, to burglarize your home. They to try to determine when you're not going to be home and seize the opportunity. So to try to, it sounds nice, um, but it, it does help. One way is to, to switch up the routine or to even have, I don't know if she was going uh, to the bank by herself, but to, to even travel in pairs, just like you see the armored trucks. It's always usually these two people who are going around with the money. So um, that's one, one way to try to minimize that. Um, 
So there's there's good news about this and there's there's bad news in terms of the the fraud and stealing and all of that. So not-for-profit church-related organizations actually have the lowest fraud incident rates, and that's um, United States wide. So we're about ten, it happens within the church or nonprofit organizations about ten percent of the time. Um, the largest are private companies, followed by public companies. And right after that is government entities. The bad news about that is that it still exists. Um, recent articles actually found that churches that experienced fraud had little to no accounting controls in place. And so that's really what this whole discussion is about. Uh, risk management, again, I know it's we talk about it being good stewardship of the funds in terms of um, managing them, but a part of that is making sure that you have um, procedures and policies in place and making sure that trusted individuals are actually handling the funds as well. Um, and then the vast majority of the offenders in, in, in terms of fraud or theft are first-time offenders. So that's not to say, you know, um, repeat offenders don't happen, but uh, it's a little bit harder to gauge, you know, who that um, the offender actually is uh, in terms of theft. So some things that we can help do to prevent fraud is setting the tone at the top. Again, as I mentioned earlier in the presentation, we're all leaders. Um, and it's in this instance, it's kind of a top-down thing. So, you know, whether it's the church board, or the conference, and you sit down and you say, hey, you know, this is how we're going to handle the situation if ever it comes up. Um, of course, setting internal controls, as we mentioned earlier, uh, switching up the routine, having two people go to the bank, um, you know, making sure that, and I, and I don't intend this to come off sexist in any way, but if it's an older lady who's taking the, the funds by herself, that may not always be the case, because even if she makes it to the bank, somebody may come up behind her and steal the funds there, you know, you, you just, you just never know. Um, and there's some guys out there, hey, they might get, they can get mugged too. So, um, and then al aligning those controls with the, the, the possible risks that may um, come up. So the top three me methods for local churches is obviously having an anti-fraud and policy in place. So setting up ways, if your church or your school already has this in place, awesome, great job, keep that up. Um, if not, sitting down and having that conversation, hey, what do we do if we have somebody come in and we're dealing with fraud situation on something to that extent? Um, always constantly reviewing that those procedures and process. This falls right back into uh, switching up your routine, not getting comfortable saying, okay, seems like we have the best policy in place right now and things aren't going to change. We can let our foot off the gas and cruise and think that no one's going to come through and try to um, uh, test that policy or those procedures. And then constantly training whoever it is, whether it's you have, because um, we're all, whether we like it or not, we're not all here forever. Um, and then you do have new people that are coming in. They're taking on treasurer roles or they're taking on deacon roles, taking up the offering. So making sure that there's constant training going on there, making sure that everybody 
who's involved with handling the funds or checking the receipts or making sure the books are up to date, that they're um, always up to date and aware of, of the policies and procedures in place. Just a comment, the, uh, I think it's really easy to say, well, but we've got, you know, I'm, a, I'm an honest person, I'm the treasurer, and we've got all the people that are honest, and so we don't need to be as careful. Um, I think that's probably an incorrect way of looking at it, because really, you may be the most honest person, but the, the procedures are to protect you. Right. If someone accuses you of doing something, and there's a paper trail, the accusation falls flat on his face because it, you know, you're protected. That's fair. So your, your best, almost honest people deserve to be protected. That's fair. Um, and just playing devil's advocate to that comment, you know, even if I'm not an honest person, I'm going to tell you that I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I, I anticipate that you will believe me. So some things to, and I, I kind of fell behind just a little bit, but I, I think it's been great discussion and dialogue and I've like the, the fact that we're being able to share some ideas, but some, some ways to detect fraud. A lot of times somebody who has um, stole funds or something like that, there's some behavior changes. So if they've, if they've, whether they've taken money, in this instance, they've taken money from the church, there's some behavior changes there. They may end up lifestyle changes, <clears throat> going out, buying nicer things. Hey, you know, you've known Hunter to always come wearing the same shoes all, every Sabbath and all of a sudden he's got a brand new pair of shoes and you know that he doesn't have the greatest job in the world so how does where did that come about um, not saying that I didn't get a new job or something but there 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 is some behavior changes there uh, someone who never takes vacation all of a sudden is on vacation um, and um, all of a sudden maybe very generous Buying, buying gifts for other people, trying to mask it. Say, I've been taking funds here. Let me give you a gift or let me give you a gift. Um, everybody gives a gift all of a sudden. So these are just some things. These are not clear-cut, set-in-stone um, detections of fraud, but these are some things that you, if you realize that there are some discrepancies in the accounting of your uh, offering, that there's some things to to pay attention to. So if you sus suspect that there's any type of fraud, of course, first and foremost, you need to um, contact the conference, the conference legal counsel, and also uh, ARM in this case. Um, and to have, to, to have some conversation and dialogue with the alleged perpetrator, letting them know, hey, you know, temporarily until proven otherwise, you are not to do, have anything to do with, with collecting offering, counting the money, any of those things um, until this litigation process has gone through. If found guilty, of course, you know, that's, that's it. That's uh, the end of that. And then, of course, acting quickly and securing all the data. Um, one thing that I, um, yeah, and securing all the data. Uh, at this point, I don't think I have much else to add, but I do want to thank you all for coming out, spending a little time talking about risk management and good stewardship. Again, my name is Hunter Pettis. Whenever you need to have a call or a question to make, you can always reach out to me directly um, or even the conference, and I'll definitely feel free to answer any of your questions. This media was brought to you by Audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.